just to be able to talk with people and have these conversations and share ideas, a lot of energy and like life. And it feels very like powerful to be able to push my thinking that much further and continue to ask questions and kind of be willing to like see things from a new angle. My name is Rob Van Nood. And I'm Matt Woodard. You're listening to the third season of Elevate, a podcast about big ideas, little projects, and everything in between. Rob and I sit down for in-depth conversations with students and educators to raise your awareness about interesting and important things that are happening here at Catlin Gable School and in the educational world beyond. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Catlin Gable community and beyond. This is the first episode of the third season of Elevate, and I feel really privileged to be here with my new co-host, Matt Woodard. Say hi, Matt. Hey, everybody. (laughs) And he will be co-hosting with me throughout the year. It's going to be a little change for Elevate. And our first guest this year is uh, Marcel Donahauer. She is a third grade or now, not third grade, second grade. She is a second grade teacher this year at Catlin. And today I really wanted to invite her on to talk about the work that she's been doing uh, throughout the summer and before that uh, around the Black Lives Matter work here in Portland. So welcome, Marcel. Thank you. Good to um, be here. And to get started, <laughs> to get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your time at Catlin, what you've done here. I know you had said that you're you had been working here at Catlin before you were a teacher. Um, yeah, so, so I yeah, I first um, came to Catlin as a student teacher, actually, so an intern in the lower school, um, and about 11 years ago now. And I was, um, it was a program, a scholarship program, actually. I got a stipend for some of my teaching, uh, and the scholarship was for diversity, looking for um, for, for diverse candidates. And so, um, that's how I initially, the program I was in at Lewis and Clark, um, presented that as an option and I applied for that. And so that's how I initially kind of, um, learned about Catlin. And then there were, you know, people in the community that highly recommended I, I get, you know, my, my training there and, and spend time there. So then I left for a couple of years and taught at a environmental science charter school. And then I came back and then, um, I know I've, I've been in and out over the years as I have two little kids. So, um, like last year I wasn't working and the year before I was, it's been about five years of on and on and off with, with the births of my kids and, and some leaves. So, yeah, I've been around for a little while. Um, and I think something that's always struck me about Catlin, even um, since the beginning, was the commitment to um, the diversity and inclusion work. Um, and I will, I can talk more about this later, but I, I really feel very grateful for the professional development opportunities that have been provided to me, both for my personal growth and professional growth um, when looking at inclusion work. So... What are the, what are the things that have been really compelling for you in that work? Like, what draws you to that? Yeah. So I think, um, well, for me, I'm a, a brown woman who grew up in Oregon, and so it's not the easiest place to live, uh, in that sense. And I wasn't always aware of it. I'm biracial. I grew up in pretty white spaces. I grew up in Southern Oregon, um, where you have a pretty like 
Um, I grew up in a pretty liberal community, um, direct community, but then there's also a very conservative um, element in community. So like in high school, kind of those two contrasting views um, in some ways and in other ways you see kind of the similarities with two kind of extreme ways of thinking. Um, so I think for me, I always, um, I, I, I was always aware that people saw me differently than I saw myself and would treat me differently. And it wasn't really until college that I had a better sense of why that was. Um, and then it kind of just, you know, evolved from there in terms of my, I was really um, passionate about environmental studies and um, that's what my undergrad degree is in. I wanted to do um, education. I really liked, um, you know, environmental justice types of topics. So kind of that intersectionality. Um, and so then when I got into to teaching and I think especially with the support at Catlin, it kind of drove me more and not being able to teach science either as much um, since that's definitely a passion. But as a homeroom teacher, we, we don't have that subject area in the lower school. So um, my passion kind of got channeled into the social studies units in terms of that, that social justice lens. Um, and then the, just through the experiences at Catlin and the PD and POCC and White Privilege Conference and different pieces like that that I've been lucky to attend, um, the concept of systemic racism um, was just so, like, it, it was so gripping when I, when I could, could see that and learned about that and, um, and white supremacy, right, as a, as a concept. Um, and so those two, like, pieces, when I, I, I haven't been involved, like, a lot in terms of organizing for the Black Lives Matter movement before now, but what, um, but what struck me when the protest started after George Floyd was murdered was the national shift in conversation from individual acts of racism to the systemic piece and how clear that was becoming. And I was so excited by that. And I thought this is, I, I could see it. I could see that this is going to be a push in this movement. Like this will have momentum. And um, I was really, really, uh, I was, we were really on lockdown at that point for COVID. Both my kids have congenital heart defects and we didn't know, you know, just a lot of questions around as everybody does around the effects of COVID on the body. And so we had been, I hadn't even gone to the grocery store. I'd been so anxious. I sent other people and I had barely, you know, left the house other than to walk around the neighborhood with the kids. And, um, but it was, I think the, the fifth day after his, uh, George Floyd's death and just seeing on social media, the things that were happening and, um, Herb's family actually was out and so I was kind of communicating with them and seeing what was going on and at first it was just really hard to tell where people were, what they were doing, who was organizing. Um, but I, I stepped out and went with a large group and that was the night that people laid on the Burnside Bridge um, for, for those nearly nine minutes um, and it was very, very emotional. It was really intense for me. Um, I think just like it was cathartic just to be with all those people and like process that grief and anger that's just been swelling and swelling. Um, and so from there, uh, my family made the commitment to, for one of the adults to be out, me or my husband out every night. Um, so we were for, for pretty much that first month when those large scale marches were happening. So, so was that when you're saying you, you and your, your husband were talking about that, was that pretty easy to make that, you just both felt like we're, we're going to do this. Yeah. We're ready to make that jump. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, just the importance of like showing up in person and, um, you know, it, it, it became, 
very interesting to me, the dynamics in Portland, trying to understand. I always had this, I was very curious about who was leading, you know, what was their message? What was their perspective on all of this? Um, just in the sense that I kind of wanted to understand like where this was moving and, and going. And, um, and so it was important to show up and I couldn't always stay for all the speakers or, you know, I'd maybe show up later. Um, usually I'd get there for the march, which started around seven and then try to get home. Um, so I wouldn't stay for all the speakers. But what I did get hooked in with was, you know, just the whole social media scene. And I haven't been super active in social media until more recently. And I started to see like all the different things happening in our community, including those, you know, within the system. So I started to learn about the citizen, um, the, oh gosh, citizen review committee for the city of Portland. That is a citizen volunteer group that provides a very thin level of oversight to the policing system. It doesn't have much teeth. So I joined a work group for that. Um, I started attending those meetings. You know, COVID actually makes it much easier for parents to um, get involved with things because everything is on Zoom. So I could be cooking dinner and attending a meeting or, you know, it just made it a lot easier. And I, you know, started doing a lot of get out the vote act like actions and um, hooked in with Indivisible Oregon. So I was trying to like find, I, I felt just this urgency to do as much as I could basically. So I was trying to find all these actions in addition to showing up at the protests and being out there as a body. Um, I wanted to find those impactful ways, the petitions. Um, I started to see activists who had these great link trees. I think I sent one out this summer. Um, earlier this summer that, that I continue to add and change and I'm creating Google Docs of resources. So it's just kind of the way I approach a lot of things. I love spreadsheets, I love organization, I see resources, I wanna compile them. Um, so that's kind of how it, it, it started, my activism. Um, and then it evolved you know, from there in terms of like how, when we saw each other downtown later in the summer. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, you clearly by that time that was, I don't know, if that was in July when we when we started running into each other. Downtown. Yeah, it was it was mid July. Um, yeah, so the 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 Rose City Justice what ended up being a, a a group that formed called Rose City Justice. They kind of led those huge marches, and then that kind of that group imploded, which was interesting to see happen because it it does you know organizational structure is very difficult I think and all those pieces and it was uh, a new a new organization. But there were some really positive things from it. I think a lot of awareness around budget and how um, much the budget drives, you know, what happens in our communities in terms of safety and where the money goes. So there were some good things that didn't go as far as I would have liked the budget cuts um, or as many people would have liked. And I think that's why you see people still showing up because the response wasn't adequate. Um, I also started to see lots of other um, actions happening. Um, intersectionality, I went to a, a, um, abolish ICE protest. I went to several protests at PSU. I testified at um, a board meeting at PSU about disarming PSU. There's that whole movement and luckily that did happen later in the summer, which was super exciting and wonderful to see some memorials for Jason Washington. So different, I started to just really kind of seek out all these events, press conferences I would take my kids to. We took our kids to some of the bigger marches a few nights um, after we'd been going for a few weeks. We felt pretty good about that. And like they were safe, there wasn't police presence, the helicopter overhead stopped following us. Like, you know, it started to feel okay to do that with kids. And then right around when the feds came to Portland, um, 
I had an experience where I took my youngest downtown to a press conference by Don't Shoot at right in front of the courthouse and there were a couple agitators and it got so tense and kind of scary to me with her. Um, I ended up asking some people to walk me to my car, some some larger people, um, just because I didn't feel safe at that point. And I realized, you know, it started to shift my thinking around safety and um, my kids being at different events. And there are some really great um, kid marches and things too that I ended up getting hooked in with later. Most of my action was more, I felt really compelled to do it like for me. And then if like we could bring the kids, great. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of selfish, but it wasn't like there were you know a lot of there's one in my neighborhood at Sunnyside School that happens every Tuesday. That's really fabulous. I've kind of gotten um, hooked in with those organizers now, some educators and things, and and helped support their work as well. So there are many different ways to get involved. I would say like the PDX BLM event site is great. It's um, a website, and then there's also an Instagram page, and they post just they collate. And I ended up meeting one of the organizers. He's um, um, immigrant from Guatemala, actually, he showed up to one um, event that was a smaller event and was just checking them out to kind of see, you know, what are we posting and what's actually happening at these things. And we had a great conversation a while back. So it's been it's been fascinating to really dive into the people in the movement and the people in the community and see just the breadth of experiences happening and the passion people have and the commitment. I think that's very, very exciting and inspiring to me in all of this. So uh, for those that are maybe, you know, for health reasons or whatever reasons can't be involved in these physical events, mm-hmm. um, are, are you finding there are tangible ways they can be involved, like through social media or online presence? Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, they're like anything like the city of council meetings, like I testified at one, it took five hours, unfortunately, of sitting on the call waiting. I was at the very end and there were a lot of people testifying um, about the ballot measure that's coming up. So there are there are things and that's one for um, true oversight, independent oversight of police review. Right now there's a system that that is just the police reviewing the police and this would provide it was um, sponsored by Commissioner Hardesty and her team. And so that's on the ballot for the fall. That's really great. So there are things like that. So if you start to you know, tune into what city council is doing or at a state level, there's been legislation being passed, things that you can attend and give testimony to. Before I testified at city council, I also attended um, like a pre-meeting to talk about how to testify. Um, and so there are different organizations around Portland that do that type of thing too in that service to talk to you. How, how do you want to present your story? How can it be the most compelling that, that it can be? Um, there's also, I really love, you know, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky. So I know, you know, in a school setting, we want to respect everybody's political beliefs. And I think around racial justice and social justice and really civil rights, which is what I see this movement as, you know, it's, 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 the Black Lives Matter movement, but it's really grounded in civil rights, um, is not political. So civil rights should not be political. They're human rights. They're basic rights that we all should have. And so, um, you know, I'm hesitant to talk about some of the more political actions in terms of like my my party affiliation, but there are some really great, you know, organizations depending on on which way you lean or, or your beliefs in that sense to also get involved um, in ways. But definitely, you know, I think it's really important to be clued into the city and state level. That's where the change happens if we're looking at systemic change. Um, 
There are the, that website also gives a lot of virtual events and ways to get involved and trainings. So a lot of that personal work that also has to happen as a part of this. Um, there are all kinds of things out there right now, especially with COVID and ways. There's also a great car parade that happens two times a week. So you can get in your car, decorate it if you want. I've seen them come by different rallies and marches honking and doing their thing. So there are, there are definitely, and then I, what I would say in terms of like, comfort level in being out. Um, everybody's masked. Everybody's a great job of being masked. You're moving, you're outside. Um, at some, you can space out some, definitely. At some, other ones, you can't. It's part of a safety, um, a safety belief that you need to stay tight and together to be safe um, from, from some of the more from agitators and, and police and such. So depending on the level that you want to um, expose yourself to. But I, I have you know managed to stay healthy. I, I think I've been to this point probably over 70 demonstrations um, in a variety. Um, some of them are like, you know, protest outside of Market of Choice where employees are protesting. So smaller kind of sign waving ones all the way to um, everything you've seen on the news. So where do you where do you see yourself at this point after several months? What what do you think is your role within this larger movement? Or do you see yourself having a role at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've gotten more involved with different organizers, um, just in terms of I've, I've just, so when the feds came and right during that week prior, um, I started seeing some really concerning behavior by PPB. I mean, it had all been concerning and the indiscriminate use of tear gas and all that, but they had started arresting press. And that was really, really um, scary to me in terms of an infringement on rights and transparency, arresting press and not giving them back their gear. And I was following, I follow several um, great on the ground journalists on Twitter. And so seeing raw footage, seeing all of that. And so I finally was like, I don't really understand what's happening at the Justice Center. I'd only been there once after one of the large scale marches that ended up downtown. And I felt really uncomfortable and really unsafe. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I just need to go down and see what's happening down there. I'm curious, I wanna know more. And that night, um, most of the people were up doing the direct action up by um, the PPA building off Lombard, so the, the union building. So there weren't a lot of people there, and I didn't want to go down close to the buildings. I was back in the back of the park. I stood next to a tent of a nonprofit and kind of talked with them because I knew I needed to be near people. I couldn't get any friends to go with me, um, and I knew that wasn't the smartest move, and it still isn't. So if you go out, you should have a buddy always. Um, and so as two of the protest leaders uh, were doing kind of a perimeter walk looking and they came over to me and said, you know, you shouldn't, you should either be with us or you should go home. Like you shouldn't be hanging out by yourself. And they talked to me about the vans. Um, and this was before we knew that it was feds who were rolling up and grabbing people. And so we ended up having like a good uh, 20, 30 minute conversation about you know, ways to make change and, and everything. And what surprised me from the people, there was two black men, um, the people that I was talking to was this perspective from one of them that kind of flipped, flipped the script for me. Cause I'm saying like, I've been like emailing, you know, Rosenball, um, Rosen, sorry, I'm AG, our AG, I can't ever pronounce her name right. <laughs> and then I've been emailing the AG and Governor Brown and Ted Wheeler and our commissioners and like my state rep and like everybody I could. I've been sending emails and, you know, doing everything I can, all these different actions. And it was kind of like, well, what are you telling them was the question. And, um, 
you know, is like, I'm telling them this isn't okay. And, and he flipped it in terms of like saying, well, what do you want to see like on the other side of this? Like, what can you imagine? Like, how can you convince them? And so that really started me down this path of like, yeah, what is it, you know, kind of looking beyond just feeling that kind of anger and frustration to being like, I need to know more about the police systems. I need to know more about the unions. I need to know more about our systems to be able to advocate effectively for that change. Because up until now, I hadn't, I didn't have a good grasp on the issues around the systemic issues around our carceral system. So, you know, the prison industrial complex, like all of that. And so it'd been more focused on, you know, understanding education and understanding in the classroom what that looks like and changing my teaching habits. I feel like I've massively changed certain teaching habits over the last 10 years with a lot of the work that I've been supported in at, at Catlin Gable. And I still am and still self-examining, like it's ongoing work. Um, but I, I really realized the power in this moment to change such a huge system that impacts so many and so many safety. And so that's really um, where, I, where I went from there. And so I started talking to more organizers. I found it actually very easy to approach people and start talking and asking, you know, um, just about their work and so having conversations. Can I interrupt there? Sure. I, I'm, yeah. curi- I'm curious about that. For That's something I, you know, being out on the street with you, um, and I was there more kind of doc to document things. Um, that's something I, I personally want to know more of. Yeah. Like, how did you, you know, is it just you walking up to people and then everybody <laughs> being open or like, is you, you're starting um, a conversation a certain way or like, how, how are you, how are you making that happen? Having the, making those connections? Yeah, it's hard to, to know exactly. I guess, uh, you just walk over <laughs> to someone and say, Hey, <laughs> Can I talk to you or what are you doing here or? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. A little bit of that, you know, or what do you think of this or what do you think of, you know, these folks? Because there's lots of different factions out there and different protest leaders. So when the feds came, everybody converged at the Justice Center. So you had I started seeing all these different organizers I had seen at different marches showing up in the same space. And it was really interesting to watch because there were definitely some competing agendas, definitely some power plays happening. Um, and it really made me realize how much I just had to like ride this out like there was no like I was really worried and talking to the two organizers who had been there all summer about like like the safety of everybody here like why are we stuck at this building why do we need to be at this building and I and I know why and there was a piece of it you know to to stand up to to resist you know the the powers that be and to resist fascism and to resist and to show that there are so many who care about um, racial you know equity and um, racial justice and um, you know it's it's all intermeshed so some people say oh the message got lost when the feds came but I, I disagree I think it kept it alive and kept it moving which is um, you know it's too it's easy to nitpick everybody and so that's basically what I learned from from those experiences and talking to a lot of people is it's like I don't I'm not going to like judge somebody and the way that they're protesting or the message that they're giving in this moment. You know, it's like we're all trying to find our best way through this and we all have such different perspectives. Um, and I learned that even amongst, you know, the protesters and the, and it, you know, mostly black or, or BIPOC um, protest leaders that I saw, you know, out there and had conversations with. So, um, yeah, and it's like once you started to get to know like one, then you kind of get to know another. And if you're having a conversation here, then you, you know, see another one and people are comfortable talking to you. Um, I also started bringing after the feds were done. Um, that was a really intense few weeks. It was very traumatic. 
Um, I have a lot of footage from the front lines. I ended up doing work with different journalists and giving footage, one who got some things out to Germany um, and one who's a local um, native uh, journalist, Jacqueline Keeler, and I saw her speak at the White Privilege Conference. So I started like trying to get like I started to realize like the narrative has to be share a different narrative than what's being blasted. And like, you know, this piece of me that I'm like, if I'm a teacher and a parent of two young kids and I'm willing to come out here and like wear a gas mask and wear goggles, my kids swim goggles and a helmet and like be gassed and be pepper balled, like then this story needs to be told. And there were so many, it wasn't just me. Like, it's not like just, oh, I'm the only one. No, there were so many of us that were, you know, out there and the level of care that the community has for one another at all of these events is incredible. And that story needs to be told, right? The, the number of medics that are out there helping, the number of people with free food and water at all the events, whether they're just a march or these more intense actions. Um, you know, the level of, of care people were in getting people away when they didn't have a gas mask to be able to have their eyes flushed and just taking care of one another. Um, it, it's just a really powerful thing. And it's what you would hope our police system would do for people that people are really doing for each other. I mean, there's probably 10 groups, you know, these kind of decentralized groups that provide security and, you know, the, the medical care and all these things. So that, those are the things that really drove me to continue to want to get, especially get footage. And that's where the documenting started. Um, I wasn't doing much documenting early in the, in the season. I would, you know, put a few things out there to friends. Um, I would write regular emails to like my close friends and family um, and also give them resources for looking at being a white ally and looking at their own biases and things. Um, but then I started doing that like more broadly on social media. And I also, after that really intense action, I started bringing my camera, my good camera to, um, I was just using my phone to events and taking, you know, higher quality photos. And then one way you're wondering how I connect with people is I'll, I'll just send them, I, I follow them on Instagram, so I'll just send them my photos in, in a message and just say, hey, I took these, like, thanks so much for your words and your work. And then sometimes I would start a conversation or, like, there's these great ASL interpreters that come to so many events to provide access, um, you know, to people. And so I, you know, had sent them several photos and then finally saw one in person and, like, started talking to him. Um, and Amber, actually, the woman who's going to do some of the voiceover, we've never met but um, I've sent her lots of photos. Like we've never, I've seen her, you know, been very close to her and, and filming her. But we've had conversations online. Um, so that type of thing, you know, um, where I think, you know, also the youth organizations have been very powerful and inspiring to me. There are two main ones in Portland that lead marches, um, Fridays for Freedom. And I think Black Youth Movement is the other that name has changed a couple times. So I, I think that's what it is now. Um, and so like them, I'll send them, you know, photos of, of their marches and their, their events. Um, and then I also started doing regular posts like of the events and footage of the events. And then, um, you know, putting some pretty raw footage. Um, I feel like there's so much to talk about. I could keep talking forever. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is like no, only it's... halfway through the summer. <laughs> um, Maybe that's a good point to do a little shift. So sure. you're, you're putting all this time in. You're, you know, when I saw you out there sometimes, you know, I remember a couple of times I was like, Marcel, you should go home. <laughs> and you, you stu <laughs> I'd see you two hours later and you'd still be out there. Your eyes kind of glazed over and really committed to keep going. Um, as the summer started winding down and you knew you had to start shifting to, to be thinking about school, mm -hmm. 
Um, I was hoping to shift right now the conversation a little bit to, to start gravitating towards what you started thinking about what your work meant to the, the work you're going to do as an educator yeah. and, and the work you're, you're beginning to do this year um, at the school and beyond that. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I still am really committed to being out as much as I can. I've connected with um, one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party. Um, his name is Kent Ford. He leads tours for um, Vanport Mosaic. He's a really no, well-known um, activist in the communities. He actually has two kids who went to Catlin. Um, and uh, we, we go out many nights together. He'll text me to try to get me out. In the last few weeks, I felt, I felt bad. And so those are to the direct marches that I know are very controversial. It was really important for me to go to those after the feds. I'll get to the education part, but I just think this is important to share. Because sure. what I saw that happened after the feds is you have a government system, um, a, a city system that was denouncing the feds and their actions, but yet allowing the system here in Portland to do the exact same things, to use the exact same tactics that are violence inducing. So the tactics of the militarized police actually incite the violence. There are lots of really powerful articles. The chief up in, um, police chief up in Seattle, who um, managed the World Trade Organizations, has done a lot of research and put out a lot of information about how those tactics being used of riot gear, CS gas, like all those things actually escalate situations and don't de-escalate. Even the presence of, of police in riot gear makes people more agitated. So I was really frustrated by the continued lack of uh, action by Mayor Wheeler as the police commissioner um, to do anything about it and the, the discounting of all the huge um, events. So I kept on wanting to know more and see these different things. And I, I, I got, um, I've had some very scary experiences with Portland police. Um, I have uh, a lot of footage um, and very disrespectful and also traumatizing, I would say at this point, experiences, but I feel like it was important and is important to continue to show up and also not let them intimidate, which is what they're trying to do and silence voices. Um, I wanted to, I kept on pushing pretty hard and I ended up writing an editorial in Street Roots recently that kind of want, looked broadly at the protests and want people to see. So um, I won't talk too much more about that, but it has a lot of information and photos um, that can be found online. Well, we can out. we can yeah. put that we can put a link to yeah. that in in the description of the podcast. And I think that'll give people a little better sense because it's hard to like describe it all of all the experiences because there's been many and they're really really varied. Um, but in terms of shifting gears, I still am definitely involved with communicating with different organizers. There's um, the 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 family and kid marches that I'm committed to helping support in different ways. We've driven a car as, as like a, a follow car. My husband, as I, I've documented, I like to document, so I usually go and document, and he's driven the car as like a safety behind the marchers. Um, so we do things like that. Um, you know, I want to continue to stay connected to people and see where the things are shifting and moving. I think you have to be willing to kind of see the, see where you can plug in, what you can do. I want to keep documenting as much as I can. Um, I, you know, I want, I think the work is, is very natural within the classroom in terms of what we do anyway. Um, you know, Stephen and Jasmine and Lisa and I just met the other day and Sherry wasn't able to make it, but a part of a group in the beginning lower school looking at 
the anti-racist work that needs to happen there and a continuation of a lot of really good work that's happening. A lot of the work with younger students is based around identity, based around um, starting to look beyond yourself and um, being able to have conversations with people, being able to name differences, being okay with that. So a lot of that I had already been doing and, and the beginning lower school is doing um, in a lot of ways. So I feel very lucky to like dive back in in that sense. Um, I you know, definitely am excited to join DAC again and work on the anti-racist curriculum work, um, looking more broadly at the school and looking at curriculum. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities right now to um, make some big changes and really commit to um, doing better. Um, I think we're doing well. I've seen a lot of growth in the 10, 11 years that I've been involved um, in, in the many conversations. Um, I think we're having a lot more real conversations than when I first started at Catlin and some of the diversity PD. So I think that's a positive. But I think, what, what is that like? What does that look like? Uh, what is a re for you? What is a real conversation? I think mean? being able to see people be vulnerable and um, and sit in that discomfort. That's so important um, and not get defensive. Uh, and so because we all have our biases and we all have, you know, our missteps and we all have successes. And so it's important to realize all of those pieces as educators and just people. Um, so, yeah, I think those are those are the, you know, the main pieces in shifting. Um, it's definitely challenging right now to still feel very like uh, compelled. And also, I, you know, you start to feel concerned about these people that you spend time on the streets with and you, you know, uh, want to know that they're safe and um, not being able to be there, you know, with them or alongside them can feel hard um, right now, these last two weeks. Um, I still go out on the weekends. I haven't been able to on a few Monday nights <laughs> before the week gets crazy um, and not for as late. Um, you know, I'm really, I, I, yeah, I think it's just, it's ever changing and shifting. And I think that's a real positive for this movement. So hopefully that helps answer that question. How are we feeling? I've got some more questions, but. Go for jump it. Jump in. Yeah, let's go. Okay. okay. So as an educator, as a mother, as a Latinx woman, as, you know, an ally, how has this experience kind of changed your your lens or your perspective on how to be that ally, how to be, um, how to best serve communities of color, specifically um, black communities. Yeah, I think you need to be willing to show up and really listen. And I think that's something our leadership hasn't done. Um, they haven't done it at all. Uh, they, they put a few things out there and said, look, we cut the budget, you should be happy. Or look, here's our 10 point plan. Or here, we're gonna form a group to, to examine this. but to really show up and, and then the events that often our elected officials show up to, they, it's, a, it's a photo op <laughs> and, the, and, and they wanna be up front or they wanna say something. And it's like, it's not your event. I was actually standing behind Ted Wheeler when he spoke. I was up there with those organizers and was standing behind him filming. And when he turned around and he was asking his, he had two bodyguards with him, like, should I go? And I said, yes, you should go. I just asked him, please go. I said, this is not your platform. This is not your place to be speaking. Like, you should go. He should have just shown up and listened. That's what he should have done. That's what leaders need to do. They need to show up and listen. Whether you're, you're you know, BIPOC or not, if you're coming down to listen to organizers on the ground, it's not your platform to take over. 
and you should listen and you need to take that in. And so I think that's what's really missing right now from leadership is that they, they think they have the answers, they think they're being these allies, but, but it doesn't go very deep. It's very skin, skin deep um, in terms of their actions and their understanding. And it's very, very apparent in their rhetoric. Um, so I can't remember what your original question was. <laughs> I got sidetracked. Yeah. No, I'm just just curious how basically overall how, how to show up. Shifted? Yeah. How is it shifting? Yeah. Me? How so, to show up and yeah. Yeah. So I guess for me, it's it's been that curiosity that's driven how for me to show up. Like, how can I plug in? How can the skills that I have? And I've had conversations with some organizers about like Ibram Kendi's work and different like philosophical like you know schools of thought around systems of of racism and like how to talk about it. And so where I see these kind of maybe. Um, things that I feel like might help add some perspective in the conversation or in what they're like speaking to, to people. Like, I, I feel like having those conversations is important and I don't do it in a sense of like, oh, like you really should have said this, but it's more of just like, um, hey, have you thought about this concept or being open to listening to their perspective and the way that I'm approaching something or thinking about something. So I feel like my, my shifting definitely is constantly changing. My, I, my understanding of the direct action has changed a lot. Um, you know, I still do not condone violence, but I also think that there's a misconception about what violence is at these protests. So that, that graffiti and dumpster fires are not violence. You can't actually enact violence against an object. The violence that's happening is the police towards me when I get grabbed and thrown, right? When I get shoved, when there's somebody walking in front of me and I'm following their orders and they're shoving me with their sticks and hitting me in the back with their sticks and I can't move any faster. That's the violence. The violence is coming from the system. The violence isn't coming from the people out there for the most part, right? So when you see things like certain protesters downtown waving guns around and the police not doing anything. And later that night, you see a couple of paintballs being shot and them rushing us with tear gas and beating people with sticks. You have to sit there and say, like, this system, it's so, like, in our face. And so I think that's what, like, people really have to see. And that's why I've been, like, so driven to document and, like, witness it on a firsthand experience because it's, people I think have a hard time understanding what's actually happening because this shouldn't be this way. We had the civil rights movement and it's like, no, it is this way. And so I think being able to shift your thinking and really listen to people, even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if it challenges your beliefs about something is an important way of showing up. I think also offering like what skills you do have to somebody as you're talking, like say you have writing skills or, you know, documenting skills or whatever it is, you know, or, or you can just show up and like, help set up the tables, you know, at an event, there are all kinds of things um, and different ways to plug in and support. So, yeah. Maybe as a last question for you, are there things that you think the school should be doing more of? Um, you, you did talk a, about some of the things that we've been doing well, um, but looking forward over a year that people have, you know, the, the school is making a commitment to, becoming an anti-racist um, institution, what would you take from the learning that you did this year to mm -hmm. apply to the school as an institution? It's also an institution that has its history in, in racism. Yeah, as and I think that question school. Is, is a really tough one. Can a school that is based on a system of privilege to begin with, um, private school, 
can it truly ever be really anti-racist? And so I think that is a question that swirls in my head. I think there's a lot that we can do and a lot of good that we do do already. Um, but that definitely is a question that hangs out there. And I, I think it hangs out there for several people, I've, uh, uh, you know, my colleagues that I've had conversations with. Um, I'm not alone in that thinking. Um, I can't really speak as much to the organizational structures um, just because I don't feel like I, I know enough. I think being willing to, um, I think there are people working on that. You know, I, I know um, the new kind of the role with the inclusion office. I, I'm forgetting, is it Erica? Because she came last year, so I don't know her yep, well. But Erica, I heard her yep. role is shifting also into retaining um, teachers, you know, BIPOC teachers. Um, recruiting and retaining. So those types of things where you're putting resources towards something that's really important, representation. Um, you know, I think there's been a, a pretty good shift in terms of our admissions of racial um, diversity. Um, I think also uh, in terms of though in the classroom, what I would like to see more of is coaching directly about how to implement culturally responsive teaching techniques and anti-racist teaching techniques, so direct coaching. I, I, I think people really want to do it, and some of my frustrations over the years have been not enough hands-on training and direct, like, this is what it could look like in your classroom. It's been more up to, there's been a lot of, like, that personal work, which I think is really important, too, and we have to always keep doing that. But I would like to see some more really, like, supportive um, coaching of people who to come in and really look at this particular part of of our school um, and our classrooms because it really it will permeate everything, right? Anti-racist teaching isn't just about your social studies teachers, um, but it really should permeate everything that we're doing that lens. And so I think that's something I would love to see more of some resources in that direction and commitment to really helping teachers develop that sense, right? In addition to trying to understand um, understand our own biases and understand our own ability to um, comprehend and cope with these really heavy topics and issues, I think there's a lot that can be done in terms of supporting what actions need to be taken in the classroom and within our curriculum. Great. Well, thank you so much, Marcel, yeah. for coming on here. Really there, you, you have a wealth of experience and, and knowledge, and uh, I really appreciate um, I This summer just always was very inspired um, and blown away by your commitment, your willingness to just push through being exhausted and still keep at it. I think that's the kind of work that we're, we really all should be doing. And I know everybody needs to find their own place in that. Yeah. But I, I think you're a great resource for the school to help move things forward. Thank you. On that note, I just want to say, like, I don't um, also don't like, I do think, you know, we all need to be working in our different ways. And I, I do think, you know, that that term, it's a Marathon, not a sprint, is really important to remember. But I do think that this t period of time that we're in is a sprint. And I think that's why I've pushed so hard in so many different ways, because this is a sprint. And um, I was talking, actually, with my stepdad last night, and he was you know, saying, like, I don't want you to be disappointed when you don't, you know, you don't, you don't get all of the, the changes that you're hoping for. And I'm like, I won't, because there's already been so much that's happened. And, you know, in different, in all these different ways, and I can see that. And really, it's just about like that, that movement and that, that incredible social consciousness, that shift 
and the conversations as well, as well as the institutions and these policies that need to change, but also that's huge for our communities, just the, the shift around thinking about systems instead of just individual actions of racism. So um, I think there's just a lot to celebrate as well. I think it can feel really discouraging when you see the narrative that's being pumped out by mainstream media and by our politicians on both sides, our politicians, I'll call them both out. Racism is not, is not partisan. Um, and I'm not calling individual people racist necessarily, um, but I am saying that the things that they are promoting within our government are a part of a racist system. And um, even if they say they support racial you know, um, equality and racial justice, um, it's very clear to me that, that they're still supporting a racist system by their actions. Um, so anyway, I, yeah, I just, I, I really hope that people see the, feel that, that incredible energy and I guess feel the, the hope and the power in what's happening right now. And I think, Matt, to what you asked me earlier, like how's it changed you? And I think it's given me um, just to be able to talk with people and have these conversations and share ideas, a lot of energy and like life. And it feels very like powerful to be able to push my thinking that much further and continue to ask questions and kind of be willing to like see things from a new angle. And um, so that's, that I think has been probably the biggest change for me is just kind of very eye-opening in the sense of being more open to change and less rigid in how I think something should evolve or should change, so. Yeah, well, you've given us a lot to, to think about and consider. So th thanks again for, for coming and talking with us. Absolutely, thank you, Matt, and thank you, Rob. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Elevate. If you have questions, ideas, or want to share your story, please email us at elevate at catlin.edu.